The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. I want to mention a great resource for writers, and this month's sponsor, Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. I'll expound later in the show, but the short version is this long-awaited book about the craft of creative writing from New York Times bestselling author Steve Almond sets out to debunk the well-meaning but misguided myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and most honest work. Pick up a copy today of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, wherever you buy books, more soon. Greetings, scribes. I have got some exciting news to share. The Writer Files now has an exclusive Patreon community where subscribers will get exclusive access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and content from productivity and publishing experts each month. In the meantime, just head over to patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. It's free to join Patreon to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. Help us start something special. Rainmaker FM. And welcome back to The Writer Files. I am your host, Kelton Reed, here to take you on yet another tour of the habits, habitats, and brains of renowned writers to learn their secrets. The business and culture journalist and best-selling author of the recent book, The Revenge of Analog, David Sachs, dropped by the show this week to talk to me about the writing life, the importance of real things in a digital world, and the revenge of paper. David's a freelance writer whose work has appeared in Bloomberg Business Week, The New York Times, The New Yorker Online, and other publications. The author's first book, Save the Deli, was an LA Times bestseller and won the James Beard Award for writing and literature. His latest, The Revenge of Analog, uh, Real Things and Why They Matter, looks at the resurgence of analog goods and ideas during a time when we assumed digital would conquer all. It was long listed for the 2017 Andrew Carnegie Medal for Excellence. Kevin Kelly, founder of Wired Magazine, said of the book, the better digital gets, the more important analog becomes. Sachs's reporting is eye-opening and mind-changing. In part one of this file, David and I discuss writing at the intersections of business and culture, why your best ideas come to you in the shower, the importance of impeccable research for great nonfiction, a roadmap for cranking out three to 4,000 words a day, and how printing and editing your work on paper can improve your writing. If you're a fan of The Writer Files, please click subscribe to automatically see new interviews as soon as they're published. Just a quick reminder that The Writer Files is brought to you by Studio Press, the industry standard for premium WordPress themes and plugins. Built on the Genesis framework, Studio Press delivers state-of-the-art SEO tools, beautiful and fully responsive designs, airtight security, instant updates, and much more. If you're ready to take your WordPress site to the next level, see for yourself why over 194,000 website owners trust Studio Press. Go to rainmaker.fm slash studiopress now. That's rainmaker.fm slash studiopress. And we are rolling once again on the Writer Files with a special guest who dropped by today, Mr. David Sachs, <laughs> author, writer, reporter. Uh, thanks so much for popping on the show to talk about your writing process. Uh, yeah, my pleasure, Gil. <laughs> we should be recording this really on an eight-track recorder uh, or some kind of analog device, but unfortunately we are recording this over the interwebs. But the new book, The Revenge of Analog, Real Things and Why They Matter, thanks so much uh, for coming on to talk to me a little bit about that. And maybe for listeners who aren't familiar kind of with your 
journey as a writer. Maybe you could just give us a little bit of your origins. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I was a kid whose parents sent him copies of Newsweek to summer camp and National Geographic. Uh, so I, um, you know, was raised in a magazine loving house and I think pretty much always wanted to be a journalist and writer. And so, uh, you know, began writing when I was at, at that same summer camp for the camp newspaper. I think that was the first, uh, <laughs> probably best work I ever did. And then, um, and then in university wrote for, you know, the, the campus newspaper and, and then afterward wanted to be a foreign correspondent. And so when I graduated, I ended up moving to South America as a freelancer and got my start um, in Argentina and Brazil for a couple of years, basically freelancing for whoever would take, you know, whatever I was writing. So that was Canadian newspapers um, and news magazines and, and radio stations when I first got down there because I'm from Canada and then increasingly, you know, uh, American newspapers um, and, and magazines in everything from kind of travel and wine to, to politics and, um, and business stuff. And then uh, when I moved back, I, I continue that. I've always been a freelancer. I've never had an actual job um, mm -hmm. since, since, uh, teaching skiing, I think was the last <laughs> job, I, real job I had. Huh. Um, so, you know, in the years since I've, I've written for all sorts of publications, um, largely in magazines and, uh, increasingly focused around kind of business and culture. So I wrote two books previously before this one on food. Uh, one was called mm -hmm. save the deli about the Jewish delicatessen business. And, uh, the other one was called the tastemakers about the, uh, the world of food trends and how they they're shaped. Um, and so wrote about food for a number of years and then that segued into writing about business, largely for uh, Bloomberg business week. You know, now I guess it, it's that mix of writing about kind of where business and culture meet. Like I find that, you know, business is often one of the best ways to get at culture. Uh, and, and with this book, you know, even though it's about many of it are, are about cultural things, right? Vinyl records, you know, music, um, uh, you know, paper and pens and, and drawing and writing, um, even things like, you know, board games, right? They're, they're cultural yeah. objects and, and, and the interactions with them are very much cultural things. You know, the, the way into that is through the business. How does this grow? How does this actually make money? Like, because behind all those things, there's always, there's always a market. And, um, and so that's tends to be where I find my, uh, my focus, at least these days. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a pretty fascinating path to where you are now. And I understand, you know, the the Save the Deli book actually won a James Beard Award, uh, Literary Award, which I thought was pretty pretty um, cool because that is a, a storied institution. <laughs> really cool to, to see. And I'm a huge fan of your New Yorker uh, columns, um, especially uh, one that you wrote recently, I think, about uh, bookstores. And, and I think the title of that was what Barnes and Noble doesn't get about bookstores, um, which we've talked about actually on the show with some other writers. Oh, interesting. Um, but the revenge of analog real things and why they matter, um, is a look at this resurgence of analog goods and ideas during this kind of the height of the digital age. And we're all seeing it. We're all experiencing it. Maybe if, if, if we didn't notice the creep, uh, before this, you're certainly, you know, the more you look around, the more you kind of see, uh, exactly that, the revenge of analog, the kind of rise of, of analog. It's like the opposite of the Terminator, right? 
<laughs> it, is, uh, it is John Connor and the resistance coming back. That's right. <laughs> so Come um, with me if you want to live. Yeah, Amazon is kind of a uh, Skynet or whatever. But um, yeah, Kevin Kelly uh, had some great things to say about it. He's also a guest on the show. Um, and you guys, it sounds like kind of had the, uh, uh, the same background, you know, lovers of of print magazines and, and globetrotters and doing uh, stuff around the world, but f- kind of finding the focus in, in connecting these these other um, disparate uh, ideas. But it's fascinating stuff. Uh, Kelly said, the better digital gets, the more important analog becomes. And Sachs's reporting is eye-opening and mind-changing. I believe it. It's a great book. So listeners should seek it out. Uh, very cool. So uh, yeah, so let's talk about your process a little bit. Um, let's kind of get into your... You're, what are you working on now? Are you working on another book? Or are you kind of doing No. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this one just came out and it's kind of, I, I'm guilty of this, that, you know, um, I'll have this laser-like focus on working on a book. And I love, I love it. I love that ability to lose myself in it and dive deep. Um, but I foolishly probably put too much mental energy <laughs> into that for <laughs> such a concentrated period of time. And it's like, okay, this is the pub date. This is the pub date. Just got to get to pub late. And then, you know, life will just be easy uh, or, or something like I can't mentally put myself beyond it. So I've had a few ideas that I've flitted with over the past couple of months, but nothing that's taken any concrete shape now. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so now I'm just at the point where I'm still, you know, working to promote the book, um, writing things around it. And then I guess in the new year, I'll start figuring out what next, whether that's another book or, or something else. I'm yeah. not a hundred percent sure. Uh, I got nothing basically. It, it'll, it'll come <laughs> to you. My it'll, process. it'll come to you in the shower. Yeah. Um, I know it always, <laughs> what is it? Maybe that's the book is like, maybe it's, it's a, it's just like a hundred page business management memoir, like how to think in the shower. And then all these offices will like just, install shower tap everyone will just be constantly yeah like, just gotta take a shower to think about this idea um but it's true a lot of the best ideas come to me and i don't know why yeah. why is that why do you think that is um it's a good question i mean it's kind of like a i guess maybe it's like a private place to incubate your your ideas but then you know th- th- there's something about you can relax there and suddenly right. your mind is on something and there's very... no other distraction like there's no email there's no call there's yeah. nothing else that's coming at you it's a total, thoroughly analog space. Yeah. And, um, and I just moved my office to a different part of my house because uh, we had a baby and, you know, now he gets his own room. Good for him. Um, <laughs> and I'm now, you know, like five feet from where the shower is. So in theory, there have been times that over the past, you know, month and a half since I've moved the office up here where I'm like writing something frustrated. Oh, gosh, it's time to go take a shower. You know, I got to go out. <laughs> meet someone um you know that is that is the the solo writer's thing it's like oh it's five o'clock and then take a shower <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> and uh and and then i step in there and it's like the, you know the water's on like, oh my god that's it that's it you know and often there's times when it comes too late and it's like I, the, the, i've sent the story off the editor already has it um i've sent off the pitch and then i have to like <laughs> send this like wait no i have an even better way of thinking about it which is uh often not actually better but <laughs> Earlier in the show, I mentioned an invaluable resource for writers. Truth is the arrow, mercy is the bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories based on three decades of writing, failing, and trying again. 
Author Steve Almond is a beloved professor at Harvard and Wesleyan and the acclaimed New York Times bestseller of 12 books of fiction and nonfiction. And in Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, Steve employs the radical empathy he displayed as a co-host of the Dear Sugars podcast with Cheryl Strayed, where they explored the joys and trials of storytelling to explode myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and truest work. The book includes chapters on plot, character, and chronology, but travels far beyond the earnest intentions of most craft books. It also includes writing prompts to generate new work. Pulitzer Prize-winning author Richard Russo called it one of the best books on writing he's ever read, and also the funniest. Pick up a copy of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories wherever you buy books, and add it to your TBR today. And just a quick aside to revisit the exclusive Writer Files Patreon community where subscribers get access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and a lot more. I know that for serious writers, it can be more distracting than ever to cut through the noise, stay productive, and home in on what's happening in the publishing industry. Over eight years, we've provided a looking glass into the habits of professional writers and publishing industry insiders. And as your humble host, I've decided to launch a membership-based Patreon for serious scribes to cut through the noise, swap tips and tricks, and hang out with like-minded peers. Just head over to patreon.com slash the writer files for bonus writing resources, monthly episode breakdowns, writer's happy hour, a community of your peers, ad-free episodes, and more. It's free to join to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash the writer files. Help us start something cool and special. Keep calm and write on. Well, you talk about that a little bit in the book. You talk about kind of, uh, I mean, it's a little bit of a uh, aside, but it's, you know, talk about office design becoming kind of intentionally analog. And, and maybe there is something to be said for that intentionally analog moment um, while we're all so, you know, obviously plugged in and distracted. And, and anyway, uh, it's all coming it's all coming back to the book. Um, but, you know, when you dig into a, a big piece like uh, The Revenge of Analog, I mean, it seems just deeply impeccably researched. So how much time per day when you're kind of working on a piece like that are you actually reading and, and calling and kind of digging around for, for those nuggets? Yeah. Uh, so this book took a, a kind of a longer process um, to get going than than the previous ones. I when I would, this this book really began when I was actually um, in the midst of writing my first book. So I had I had come back from sort of doing the research on Save the Delis back in two thousand and seven and had a variety of different ideas about kind of analog um, at the time that you know I wrote up into I, I started doing some research on or wrote up into a book. And the publisher wasn't interested. And then I put it away. And then a couple months later, I came back to it from a totally different approach. And then they weren't interested in it and put that away. And then, um, you know, like agent trying to sell it to different publishers. And then, uh, you know, every couple of years, I would come back to it and I would do a little more research into what was going on, you know, more with, you know, into what Moleskin was doing or some of the film companies or vinyl records or whatever. Yeah. So when it finally came time to actually, I, you know, I was talking with an old publisher that I had, we had had lunch before my last book was coming out. He's like, what about that analog thing? It's like, yeah, there's something to that. And then I, I kind of got back on the horse. I took, you know, again, I like, I went back in, I read a few more books that had, that had come out. I, I kind of tried to, you know, like Kevin Kelly's book, for example, I tried mm. to, 
um, which was, which was fantastic, like fascinating and fantastic and really steered my thinking in, in a direction. And, and then, you know, wrote up the proposal and, and then, you know, once it got to the point where the publisher was like, okay, we will buy this. Here's your contract. Here's the due date. Essentially it was a year from that point until the first draft of the manuscript was delivered. Wow. So from let's say September of 2014 or sort of summer of 2014, but kind of, yeah. So the summer of 2014 until sort of Labor Day of last year, 2015, um, I was researching and writing pretty much full time. I, I was, you know, the, the freelance stuff, I kind of trickled down to just a bare minimum mm-hmm. um, uh, and, and was just sort of heads, heads down on this. Um, and I, I would make a, you know, there, there was this kind of like initial phase of, you know, general exploration and going to the library and like just pulling tons of books out on these different subjects, <laughs> um, and, and doing that initial research and figuring out what the different components would be and who I would talk to. And then probably around like the beginning of that period, let's say the fall, you know, September, Labor Day, everyone's like, okay, really got to get to work. I basically will go into my calendar and I will just block out like, okay, these three weeks are going to be vinyl. These three weeks are going to be this chapter. These three weeks are going to be that. Cool. And then it would just be like hitting, you know, just intensely as many interviews as I could do, whether it's a trip. So going to Nashville for, you know, four or five days and interviewing as many people as I could in that time yeah. or going to Italy or, or wherever. And then, you know, another things like, Okay, and then you know this week as many interviews as I can schedule um, with people. So, so to the point where it was literally, you know, interviews, you know, from let's say ten in the morning till four in the afternoon, and most of that's determined by like daycare pickup and drop off times. <laughs> um, uh, and then you know, you know, this time to read this book, and this time to so it's like it's just like full on, you know, five days a week, yeah. um, uh, you know, during during those those key times. And then, of course, in person, which is the part that I actually really enjoy, yeah. traveling somewhere, meeting people, talking with them. That's, that's, the, that's the good stuff. So that, you know, that was like, I would say, eight months. And then at the beginning of spring, okay, let's, you know, hold, you know go through all the notes of every single interview and every single chapter. And, and, and then, you know, let's go chapter by chapter, you know, four days to write this chapter, four days to write that chapter, four days, like every week, one chapter every week for, you know, these weeks plus three weeks of reviewing and send it off. Um, Yeah. So it's very, I find that like, you know, that methodology is grounding. Like I need that strict deadline timeframe you know, stick to it, go, 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 please keep plowing ahead. Um, and then it just makes it so much more manageable and uh, less daunting. Nice, nice. Well, will you, you know, you talk about Moleskin <laughs> journals and, and um, kind of re- revival of that, which I thought was also very fascinating. Are you, um, are you getting, no- like when you're interviewing or, you know, you're on the road or whatever, are you, are you uh, getting notes into a audio format first and then transcribing or are you writing notes by hand how, how are you yeah. uh, capturing I, I i am um when i'm on the road i am interviewing people with handwritten notes uh when i um 
am at home, I will type on the computer because I can type faster than I can write. Yeah. And yeah. the reason why I wouldn't type, take a laptop on the road and type up my notes as I'm talking to people is because it, one, it's very impractical because a lot of the time I'm like walking around a factory, walking around a city, having lunch with someone in a restaurant, wherever. And also, like, if you put a laptop screen between yourself and mm. someone else, it totally changes the nature of the conversation. Yeah. And I think also if you like put a recorder in front of someone, it does that. It does that too. They become much more guarded. And Interesting. So I sacrifice a certain amount of, you know, accuracy. And I realize like I'm not a national security reporter. So, you know, <laughs> there's, you know, I have some leeway in that. Yeah. Um, um, but I find it, it allows a much more um, fluid conversation to happen. Interesting. And, uh, and, and this is much more disarming. Whereas, you know, when I'm talking to someone on the phone, I'm clickety clacking away. Um, uh, it's less, the conversation is, is more formal in some way. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's very, very interesting. All right. So when, you, when you're sitting down to get really to it and get to work on those chapters, uh, are you sitting in the office? Do you like to go out into a coffee shop or you just no, head down? No, yeah, I am, I am like work at home in my little space um which has now been moved uh uh you can tell the, the of losing my it's a slightly yeah now i share room with the living roomish tv but it's okay um and yeah i'm very just kind of rooted and sitting down um when i'm actually doing the writing it's like you know i'll turn on the freedom app mm. which is you know the one that blocks off the internet yeah. and uh and, you know, for like an hour or an hour and a half spurt and just like go. Um, and once I'm going, I could, you know, I could crank out 3000 words, 4000 words in a day, huh. um, uh, you know, a top pace and just like really just crank. And, and, and the way that I do it is I'll first. So let's say I'm working on a chapter, right, or an article. So the first thing I do is basically do, you know, just bullet point how it's all going to go and then fill in the quotes of what quote I'm going to do here and then go back to the notes and I'm making sure I have all the different perspectives and it's all kind of sketched out in you know this word document and then I just go in and start filling that in actually building it into you know narrative and paragraphs um, and that it, sometimes it takes its own direction but I have that roadmap of where I'm going I found I, I remember doing that in the first book and it was like the first couple the first chapter was brutal. And then finally I found that method. And then it just, again, it's like, this is very clear. I know where I'm going. And then it's just a matter of cranking out. And it's interesting, like by the end, I could like time it down to the hour of when I'm going to be finished. Wow. So it's like, okay, Friday, like it's a Friday, you know, afternoon, you know, I want to be done by three. So like, I know, you know, I can just, I can do it. And I could probably write these things even quicker if I didn't want to futz around. But I think the the futzing around is good for your mental health and, and sanity. For sure. <laughs> do you do you sit down with a cup of coffee and you put on headphones? Do you have any uh, kind of rituals that get you in the mode? No, I'm I'm pretty um, I'm pretty bored. I mean, I'll you know I I might have tea or something like that. Um, I'm, I'm, I try to keep coffees to one a day or I go crazy. You know, I make sure to get up every hour and and stretch. You know, I like to you know get out for lunch or walk. I mean, I was fortunate to. have done the writing for this book over the course of the summer so um so it was you know much better environment of, of getting out and actually being <laughs> able to to go walk and and you know it was like i was looking forward every day to going to pick up my daughter from daycare because that was you know 
50 minutes there, 50 minutes back outside, going to the playground, like just mentally giving myself a bit of a break from, from staring at the screen all day. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Here's the million dollar question. Uh, do you believe in writer's block? I don't believe in writer's block, but I'm also, you know, I'm not a novelist. So I think if you had to create things, um, from scratch and, uh, and conjure up worlds of fiction. Um, I imagine that it's something that would be, you know, very, very real for me. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm translating what I've known into some sort of coherent or semi-coherent format. Right. So, um, it's like, here's the place I went here's the thing I thought, you know, yada, 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 on and on and on for 300 and so pages. But it's there. It happened. Those thoughts are, the, the, you know, the thoughts have already happened. And, and sometimes there's a sentence or a paragraph or some section that stops me up for a little bit. But, you know, then I guess I go take a shower or <laughs> go outside and walk or, right, right. or something. But I, I, I found like the, 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 the plowing through it is, is the key. You can kind of be frozen up by that page and, and you just have to like press on, keep clacking the fingers yeah. You know, you can always go back and change it. That's uh, the beauty of the digital. Um, we're even a typewriter, <laughs> right? Like it's none of it's permanent. It's all going to be changed and edited. You can't be wet into it, but you just got to keep moving. And I think that goes for, you know, a line or a paragraph or a book or a career even in this. Yeah. You know, it's I, I saw I was um recently I saw Emma Donahue, the the novelist talk at um the Toronto Public Library. And, you know, there's like 500 people there. Yeah. She just had her new book came out. You know, she was talking about Room and the success of the movie. And, you know, th- this was her 12th novel that she's done. Um, uh, and yeah, Room was a huge international bestseller. And this one's done well too. Um, but, you know, she said, like, I've talked to rooms of five people. It's just like that, you know, constantly, you know, you just got to keep that forward momentum going. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, uh, unless you get so successful like Harper Lee and Steinbeck, or not Steinbeck, but um, uh, oh gosh, I'm totally blanking. Salinger, that you know, <laughs> you can afford to like. I have writer's block. Leave me to my millions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, you mentioned typewriters, and, and I think it's always fascinating to kind of look at um, typed pages of manuscripts of your, you know, kind of like famous authors like Hemingway or whatever and see all the uh, marginalia and the, and the editing, you know, scratch outs. And it's so cool to see something like that. Um, and, and to, you know, having never actually worked on a typewriter like that, you know, I think when we had typewriters, when I was a kid, they still had like the autocorrect, right. uh, auto erase feature where you could actually erase a, oh, the electric typewriter. Yeah. The electric typewriter. I, um, uh, for, you know, for my first book, I remember sending it in, you know, whatever Microsoft Word file and, um, and my editor sending back like a thing in the mail of, you know, red marked up pages. <laughs> and I was like, this is crazy. We live in the 21st <laughs> century. And, you know, and, and, and this is like, you know, what if this got lost in the mail? <laughs> yeah. You, know, you shouldn't even send this by courier. You sent this just by mail. <laughs> and, um, and then as I actually sat down and started getting into it, you know, I realized the benefit of that. Yeah. And with this book, obviously, with everything I did, I didn't write the book out on a typewriter, as many people have asked. Um, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I did it in Microsoft Word, but I made sure every time I finished a draft of the book, 
I would go to call, you know, send it to a printers and go to the printers, pick up the 400, whatever pages and go through it with pen and pencil and, and do it by hand. And I think it's, you know, you you perceive the work differently on paper. When it's on the page, you see it in its intended format and things jump out at you, whether it's, you know, something you might catch or just the way something looks on a page is very different from how it looks and reads on a screen. Yeah. Um, uh, and, um, and it's, it, there's also something gratifying at that first time you print it off and you're actually holding that, you know, even the early version of manuscript version of your book in your hand. Um, there's, you know, there's that, that tactile pleasure and some sense of reward to it. Right? Absolutely. Like, all right, I'm going to go out for lunch today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think every mentor I've ever had has said, you know, to print your print your stuff out on paper and edit it that way. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a great trick, um, but it works. It's effective. And there's something to be said for that. Uh, tactile, kinesthetic editing yeah. mode. Like, like I find that, you know, I'll, I'll be less on, on the computer. I'll be, I'll be reluctant to delete a page or a paragraph or a section of something. Whereas when I see it on the, on, on the page, a printed page, I, I have no problem just you know drawing a line through it, kicking yeah. it to the curb. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, you know because you instantly see that. Whereas on the computer, there's this reluctance for some reason <laughs> that I did not find in my research. For sure, for <laughs> Definitively. sure. Definitively. Thanks so much for joining me for this half of a tour through the writer's process. If you enjoy the Writer Files podcast, please subscribe to the show and leave us a rating or a review on iTunes to help other writers find us. For more episodes or to just leave a comment or a question, you can drop by writerfiles.fm. And you can always chat with me on Twitter at Kelton Reed. Cheers. Talk to you next week. Mm